Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Stephen Van Belligam on the line. Stephen, how are you? I'm good, Michael. Thanks for, uh, for inviting me in your show. Well, thank you for coming. So you do some amazing work around customer experience, and I think we're going to have a great conversation around this. So uh, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about you and this amazing work you do? Well, as you mentioned, the, the core of my passion is creating and sharing ideas about the future of customer experience. And in, in the past few years, I've written five books about it. Um, I'm giving a lot of presentations all over the world about this, these topics. I'm also an entrepreneur. So I, I started two companies. One is called Nextworks. And we organize inspiration trips with Nextworks where we take executives to innovation hubs all over the world. And I started a company called Snackbytes, which is a social media marketing agency. It's all amazing work. And five books around customer experience tells me that it's not just a you know, quick, here's a one-page PDF on customer experience. If you've got five full books of content on it, and I'm sure there's still a ton more to write, it, it says a lot. And I think that in itself should shed light on what organizations should do around customer experience. It's not just a, okay, we have you know good good product, good services, we, we serve them. There's a, so much more to that. So what got you into this type of work? I, I think it's, it, it goes all the way back to my, my childhood, actually. My, my parents, I live in Belgium, in, uh, in Europe, and my parents had a small photography store here in a, in a small town in, in our country. And um, every day I was part of that experience. And I, I saw my mom and dad work in the store. I, I overheard the conversations when we were having lunch and dinner. And they were always talking about customers and how could they could do better. And if someone was complaining, how they could solve it. And for me, that was like a natural habitat. I assumed that everyone who owned a business would think so much about their customers. It's only later on that I realized how yeah, customer-centric my mom and dad were. And I, I got that injected in my genes and, and it, it never went away. So I, um, I've, I've always kept that focus and it brought me where I am today. It's amazing. And I love hearing stories about entrepreneurs and, and the work that they do that was birthed from experiences in their childhood. And that, in many cases, that goes back a long time, maybe not as long as other people, but sometimes it's like, wow, that goes back a long time. And this is something that has been a part of you for so long. And, and I love the fact that uh, your parents looked at things and went, okay, how can we make this better? And mm -hmm. I don't think entrepreneurs give themselves enough time to actually ask that question to themselves when they're working or building their business and all of that. Instead of saying, how can I make this better? They're, they're so focused on so many different things that uh, they're, they're ignoring, or ignoring basically the, uh, the one entity that will make or break their organization, and that's their customer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember, and we're talking mid-1980s now, what I'm going to say, I remember that one day my dad came home and he went to a business school and he had, he had that lecture about direct marketing and that was becoming some sort of a hype in the mid-80s. And he said, we need to do this huh? on our scale. So he said, I want to have a database with all the addresses and names of my customers, what they bought, and then we're going to do personalized marketing. 
And he, and I was, I was 12 or something then. And he said, and you need to build that. I don't have time. You have to figure out how that works. So I, I bought a book about Microsoft Access. I started building a database. My dad gave me all the data. I was typing it in like crazy. And about three months later, we had our database and we were at that point, one of the few small businesses in, in, in Europe that was actually doing high quality personalized marketing. And, you know, it's that mindset of trying to do better in an innovative way, using all the opportunities that you have to make a difference for your customers and for your business, of course. Yeah, I love that. And that really inspired me a lot. That's amazing, especially around you know that time because you yeah. know, I, I I think we're roughly the same age. So in the eighties, yeah, you had Microsoft Access, you had Microsoft Excel and spreadsheets and things like that. You know, the internet really wasn't wide use yet. You know, we still we had some dial up connections and things like that, but there yeah. wasn't a lot of information. And it actually reminds me of a car salesman that my dad always bought his cars from for years before the salesperson retired, and that salesperson was the only salesperson at the dealership at the time, and it was in the 80s and even in the 90s, that had a computer. He had a laptop computer. So he paid, you know, those were things for thousands of dollars back then. And, yeah. and, and he had uh, all of his customers on a spreadsheet. And he had a very, you know, he used Excel instead of Access. I think Access would have been a lot easier for him, but, you know, he, you know, he, he used what he was comfortable with. But he, he, that spreadsheet was you know, he protected it and, you know, wouldn't let anybody else see it because he was able to keep track of all of the different customer situations from the name of their kids to what kind of cars they looked at and all of that kind of stuff. So he could say, okay, after three years or so, you know, they, he'd reach out to them and say, hey, I just want to make sure that um, your Chevy Blazer is still, you know, serving your needs. I know when we talked back in 1986, you know, you were, you were thinking about the suburban, but your family was still kind of small. I'm just, you know, touching base and seeing, you know, if you, if your family has gotten a little bit bigger and, you know, if you want to, you know, take a look at the suburban, you know, whenever, whenever you're ready. And amazing. He, he was the top salesperson month after month after month for years, just yeah. because he was able to curate the information, reach out to the customer, give them an experience like, wow, Rick actually remembered that I wanted to look at the Suburban, but we weren't ready for that yet. And nine times out of 10, that family would come in and they would be bigger and they would buy that Suburban. Right. And the crazy thing is that we're now more than 30 years further in time and people still appreciate those same things. If you show that you care, if you show that you know them, and if you use technology to make their life more efficient at the same time, you're still going to be successful. And that's, that's the amazing part that basically the real deep down core of what people expect probably hasn't changed. The, the way how it's being fulfilled, that has changed. But the core of what we appreciate when we do business with an organization, probably in the core, there's not that much difference. Yeah, you know, the tools that we can use can make it a little bit more efficient. And even with follow-ups and whatnot, I use the CRM and it helps me keep to- on top of things that I'm doing, uh, including when I met with somebody, when I talked with them, what we talked about kind of thing. And and just and it could be somebody that I might do business with, or it could just be somebody that is a colleague or acquaintance that, you know, we right. probably will never do any business, but having that information you know, they go, wow, you remember that? And it, it's that wow experience that when we can deliver that or when we receive that, it, it's such an amazing experience that we remember that and we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to buy 
this product, even though I might be able to get it somewhere else at a more affordable rate or more convenient. They'll say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to buy from this person, just like my dad, you know, the number of vehicles that he bought from Rick over the years, he probably bought, I'm guessing seven vehicles from him over, you know, a period of a, a few decades. And just because, you know, he knew what dad wanted, you know, dad would say, okay, I'm looking at this now. He said, okay, well, and he, would, he wouldn't try to sell him a vehicle that my dad didn't need. He knew what my dad wanted and, you know, he gave him a few options and dad picked one of them and, you know, it was like, boom, boom. It's like, okay, that'll be ready Friday. And then it would be ready and everything was good to go. And all the paperwork was done and dad would go in there, hand the keys, to the old vehicle to get the keys on this, sign a couple of things, drive off the new vehicle. And right. it, it was such a seamless experience and all the other salespeople are fumbling around and, you know, going back to the GM to get approvals for all this stuff. And dad is like, I don't want to deal with any of that. He knows what the prices are. It helped that my dad retired from GM. So he got a discount and Rick knew about it. Rick had all that stuff in there already. So they didn't have to do anything. It was just like, literally, it's like ordering a pizza or ordering food. And so you, and it's like, here it is. It's delivered easy. And that's what customer experience, just one example of it is. Brilliant example. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what are some common mistakes that you see organizations make time and time again with customer experience? Well, there, there are a couple of myths. Um, like, like when you talk about customer experience, some people come back to me and say, yeah, but it, customers don't really know what they want. So we're not going to ask them. And then they come with the famous quote of Henry Ford, who said, you know, if you, if you want to move faster from point A to B, uh, in the past, they would have said, we need faster horses. They wouldn't come up with the idea of a car. And, but that's true. It's a myth that listening to customers means that you have to do whatever they say. I think customer centricity is about listening to people, understanding what they're really looking for. And then your job as an entrepreneur or a business leader is to figure out how you're going to deliver that value to them in the best possible way. That's your job. But you need to understand what people actually need and what they value in life. I think that's, that's one area where you see a lot of mistakes happening. The second one is in the field of, of asking customer feedback and how to deal with that. A lot of companies measure customer satisfaction scores or net promoter scores. And very, very often, this is a thing of the higher management in an organization or the, the owner. And then they're like, okay, we have this score, we have seven, and now we need to go to 15. And they get really excited about it. But the rest of the company, you know, they're like, whatever, right? we'll, we'll see. And they are disconnected. And the fact that there's a disconnect between what senior leadership believes that has to be done and the people who actually have to do the job, that disconnect is terrible. That means that whatever you're going to create in terms of strategy, that it's not going to work. So the challenge for me is that if you measure, measure customer satisfaction or net promoter score, which is good if you do so, the challenge is to translate all the learnings to the life of the individual team member so that they perfectly know on an individual level how they can contribute to the success. And that's a link that... Yeah, that I don't see that often. And then basically you can measure whatever you want and it has zero impact on the relationship with the customer. It's what you, it's what you do with it. That's number two. And if I can add a third one, um, it's also in the same sphere. Huh? It's about listening to the voice of the customer. That's a sentence that you often hear. And in many organizations, listening to the voice of the customer means we're going to hire an agency and they have to listen to the customer and then they have to give us a report. And then you get a report that says, 
79% of your customers are really happy. And then you pop a bottle of champagne because you think, hey, that's cool. That's eight out of 10 and you celebrate. If you work like that, you basically dehumanize your customer. It, the customer becomes a statistic and that can be interesting. But if you really want to know what they, what they want, what they feel about you, the human to human conversation is still the best possible way forward. I always invite companies to make sure that as many employees as possible, just make one phone call a week to a customer. Uh, imagine like in a large organization, imagine that every single employee would take the phone on Friday morning and the first 10 minutes in, they're calling with a customer and they're not trying to sell anything, but just listening. Imagine what that would do with the overall level of empathy in an organization. And there's not enough empathy for the customer because we dehumanize the customer too much. That's the third mistake that I often see. Yeah, technology is a great thing, but it's also not a great thing because what it's done is it's dehumanized our interactions. And even in this pandemic, you know, we've seen that a bit. Now, even with Zoom calls, which we're using right now and, and other forms of technology, social media, text messages and all that, the, the human connection has been missing. And customers, when they get that human-to-human -human contact with something regarding, it doesn't matter what it is, it could be, you know, trying to solve a problem or just, you know, a company reaching out and, and checking in and see how things are. Uh, case in point, I'll give you an example from yesterday. Um, there's online grocery delivery uh, mm -hmm. that we use because, you know, where I'm at, you know, you know, sometimes it's just easier to get the groceries delivered. I avoid, you know, the crowds, especially during the pandemic. So the organization that you know does the grocery shopping, um, just recently implemented this, which I think it's absolutely brilliant because you, you, you order on your phone or you can do it on the computer, but you order on your phone, you put all the stuff, there'll be a message, they'll say, okay, please pick something if they're out of stock and you do that. And then the driver or the person that's doing the shopping for you calls you and says, oh, okay, I'm about ready to check out. Is there anything else that you'd like to have uh, before I check out? And it's wow. a phone call. And they just started human, doing this. A, a real, real human, human being. Yeah, a real human being. They identify who they are. And they say, is there anything else that uh, you'd like me to pick up before I check out? And I was the first time it happened to me, I, I literally was flabbergasted. I'm like, wow. what, is, what is this? And, you know, needless to say, I, I thought, okay, at first I thought, okay, this is somebody doing something above and beyond. <laughs> So I went in and, and I, I gave them a larger tip. I'm like, this is, you know, I, I need to reward this. This is amazing. And then, you know, subsequently since then, and I've had different people do it, I think it's a new protocol that they implemented. And I still wow. give them a tip because it's, it's just one of those, it takes it from technology, which is a great tool, but then they bring back to the human level and just Very say, awesome. is there any, anything you, else you want? And which which company is this? What's the what's the the, the, the name? The name of the company is Corner Shop. Corner Shop. Uh, yeah, so they're they're doing it, um, and, and so if there's other competitors that do that, um, I would you know Bauer permanently borrow their idea and do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I, it, because it was, it just, it threw me off. And then, you know, they're always polite when they drop it off and everything like that. But just that, is there anything else? Because we've all done that. We've gone to the market. We think we have everything. We get yeah. home, we realize, oh, I forgot to pick up this. And unless we write it down, and even if we write it down, we could skip it over on our list. Mm -hmm. 
but here's the thing where you look at it, it's like, oh, I forgot to order this. And they call and say, would you like anything else? Yeah, you could. Could you, could you pick up some extra paprika? I'm making a special dish and it calls for paprika. And I thought I had some in my spice cabinet, but I actually ran out. So they pick it up next thing you know, they save the day just by, hey, is there anything else? And it's just, it, it blew me away. So, I mean, I that's just, that. that's a real time recent example that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I love, it, like I said, the first time it happened to me, I'm like, what is this? And and then that, and I guess in a way that's kind of sad in a way because I think we've adapted to the technology side of things to the point where we expect an email or we expect some kind of digital message, yeah. but we don't expect a phone call no, or true. or true. someone in person saying how are things. It's yeah, it's true. amazing. I, I wrote a book and uh, came out in 2014, so seven years ago. It was called When Digital Becomes Human. And it was quite successful when it came out, but it's seven years old, so it, it, it died down and then new books came out. But now, because of the pandemic, that book is selling like crazy again, because today it's more accurate than, than ever. And there's this, this old economic law that I use as a, as a basic philosophy, and it's the law of scarcity. When something becomes scarce, it actually increases in value. And because of the pandemic in the past 18 months, the human touch almost completely disappeared from our lives which means that it's more valuable than ever before. We appreciate it more than ever. It's more premium than ever if you have a real human who reaches out to you. And more and more organizations are starting to play with this. Your example is, is fantastic. I, I had a similar thing this week. I was ordering uh, cartridges for my printer. I was out of cartridges. So I went online and uh, I have a Canon printer. So I ordered some Canon stuff and like I placed my order. And then like five minutes later, I got a phone call from those guys of that website. And they said, Steven, you just ordered Canon. But in all honesty, we have a, a cheaper product that has the same quality. It works on your printer. There's no doubt. And it's like 20% cheaper. And we thought it's a shame that you pay so much. So shall we replace that and refund you with the price difference? And I was like, these guys are, are amazing. And from, from now or from, from today on, I'll never go somewhere else because I know that I'm always going to have the best deal. They take care of me. They care of my service. And when I make a mistake, they call me and solve it just right on the spot proactively. That's when digital becomes human. It's like your example of the, of the corner shop. I love that. That's amazing, too, that a book that you wrote you know, it came out in 2014. So my hunch is you probably started writing that, you know, earlier than that. So, you know, <laughs> potentially, you know, maybe a decade before and here it is. And then all of a sudden here we are in 2021 and it's actually more applicable now than it, and not that it wasn't back then, but it's more applicable now yeah, uh, because yeah, of, of that, um, you know, that disconnection uh, of, of face-to-face -face with people and, you know, being able to go into, a store or a business or having a coffee meeting with a colleague and you're literally face to face mm -hmm. with each other, you know, that year and a half or whatever the time difference is, depending on what part of the world you're in, it, you know, it felt like forever. It, yeah. it, a lot of us, and I, I, I joke, it's like a lot of us are kind of fumbling around as we're, you know, going back to doing some things we did before the pandemic. And we're almost like, you know, toddlers that are learning how to walk again or, mm -hmm first day of school you don't know anybody in the class and you're just kind of like okay well what do i do and we're all taking baby steps so organizations and companies that are 
you know, reopening and bringing people back in and dealing with customers in a face-to-face type of thing. Again, I'm sure the great ones are going to take that into consideration and going, okay, mm-hmm. what can we do to ease the anxiety and the, you know, the nervousness of, of people as they start returning to some routines that we had before this pandemic started? Yeah, yeah, and and the the word routine is is a very important one because in March 2020, all routines in our world just got stopped from one day to another. Everything was gone, and we had like an empty piece of paper, and we didn't know what to do. Now the world is opening up again, but we're not 100% going back to the routines. We we have some new routines, like now we order groceries more online than ever. It's it's part of what we do. And we're so used to it that we're going to keep on doing that pandemic or no pandemic. And in other fields, we're going to have to look for new routines. And I don't think in the next six months, we're going to find that routine. It may as well take a year and a half, two years until we have found a new rhythm and new routines for, for business travel, for going to events, for going to restaurants, for inviting friends. I mean, there's so many aspects that we have to redefine and figure out what feels okay and doesn't feel okay, which means, in my opinion, that for many businesses, this is a huge opportunity to shape the future as you would like it to be. And you don't have to wait until the market finds the routine. You can create that new routine yourself. And the ones that figure out what customers want and they bring that new routine to the market, those are the the market leaders of the post-pandemic world. It's going to be amazing to watch all of that too, yeah. because the the forward thinking organizations, whether it's restaurants or stores, the, the the customer experience that they want to deliver that they may have thought about it before the pandemic, but they're like you know that's that's years down the road. Well, as she said, you know, in that you know, fateful day in March, you know, <laughs> the slate was cleaned, and all of a sudden it's like okay, world kind of stopped and now we and i hear this phrase a lot the great reset and and organizations and i encourage any company that i i've worked with or talk with it's like take this opportunity to you kind of look at things and go okay if i had an opportunity to redesign how we do things to make it better for our customers for the people that work here everybody involved what would we design And, and design that guess what you can roll that out you could actually have, could have done that before too, but it may have been a little more challenging. But now it's like, why not? And in organizations too, I, and I encourage them, and I'm sure you do too, hey, it may not work what you design, but you know what? There's no harm in trying it to see how it goes. And you can always pivot and adjust as you go along. Yeah, exactly. And, and some companies took the opportunity during the pandemic. Uh, t- take Disney. They were, they were actually extremely fortunate that they launched Disney Plus like four months before the world went into lockdown. So there was no better timing for them to launch that product. And if you look at their sales results, I, what was it? After eight months, they hit their five-year target. So it's, it's an insane success. But it's not just an insane success. They also used it as an opportunity to completely flip the business model upside down. When they started broadcasting Mulan, the real-life action version, directly to Disney Plus and wait no longer until movie theaters opened up again. That was a change in business model. And then after four weeks, they had 270 million in revenue from selling Mulan to Disney Plus members. That was the most profitable Disney film ever. Uh, They didn't have to share that money with anyone else. And then you see that now today they're saying, hey, 
80% of our new content is going to go straight to home theaters. We're only going to have a minority that does an in-between stop in the movie theaters. The large majority is for the people in their homes. So they used the pandemic to try out a new model. They found out that it was very successful. And now they're pushing the gas pedal like crazy to, to, to scale that success. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, I think, very smart to see how they played that game in those 18 months. You know, very fortunate for Disney because without that, you know, their revenue stream would have been, you know, next to nothing because their parks were closed, you know, and, and, you know, okay, stores, yeah, they sell some merchandising, but they need movies uh, to help. You know, create that merchandise, and you know, with Avengers and you know, and Star Wars and all the other uh, things that they do and own, it still takes time to release that. And you know, all the shows that have come out on Disney Plus, plus the content that they've you know created themselves, Mulan is an incredible example. A lot of people said, "Okay, would you pay twenty nine ninety nine to watch this?" And a, a lot of people at first would say, well, that seems like a lot. It's like, well, okay, you've got a family of five that are sitting down and watching it. You'd be buying tickets for all of those people, you know, 10 to $20 each. Okay, that could be you know, 50 to $100. You're ahead of the game. And, yeah. and, it, and of course, it obviously did spur other aspects of the economy where you know, companies like Best Buy and other people that te- sell televisions and other things, a lot, of, a lot of people upgraded their home theaters. And now they're like, we got the lighting, we've got the surround sound, we got the speakers, we got all this stuff to emulate a really great movie watching experience at home. And a lot of people will will continue to do that. They'll still, you know, obviously there's going to be people that I think will go to the movies. I'm not a, a fearful that they're going to go out of business by any stretch, but, you know, Disney will be selective. They'll say, okay, we're going to release these movies on Disney Plus, get the big Star Wars movies, the big Marvel, you know, comic book ones. Yeah, we're going to go out in the theater because we know that, you know, we'll hit, you know, globally, you know, over a billion or two billion worldwide on it. Yeah, it makes sense for us to release that, but, a small niche film may, you know, like, well, you know what, you know, this may not make, you know, a hundred million in the box office, but we could make 60 million on Disney plus off of it. And it's all ours. It makes so much sense. Well, that's why you see, you know, all the other players in there getting into that because they know it's like, okay, this is going to be a main Avenue. So, in any tragic time, whether it's a pandemic or a recession or depression, there have been great things that were birthed during that time. And I think, you know, the home streaming of you know, movies getting released instantly and then waiting a period of time before they go to theaters, for example, is something that I'm sure a model that they've all wanted to be able to do. Well, now it actually works and it meets the customer demand and it actually, you know, helped create additional revenue streams. And that's, that's great when a company can create additional revenue streams, especially during a you know pandemic or something tragic like that. Yeah, exactly. And now the parks are opening up, the cruise ships are sailing, movie theaters are open. So they have their whole machinery that restarts, but on top of that, they have a new business line that's going to make billions of dollars. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have to hold any fundraising for uh, Mickey Mouse okay. and his family. I think no. they're going to be good. So They're going to be good. <laughs> I know. Stephen, I love this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you're doing? Oh, I'm, I'm all over social media. So if people like my work, they can check me out on Instagram. It's just my full name, Stephen Van Balagam. It's a difficult name internationally, but you can put it maybe in the show notes. 
um, Stephen Van Belligam. Also on YouTube, youtube.com slash my name, Stephen Van Belligam. Or my website, I share articles there every month. It's stephenvanbelligam.com. So I would love to, to see everyone there. LinkedIn as well, obviously. So it would be a pleasure to meet some of the listeners on, uh, on those platforms. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. And I highly encourage the audience to reach out to you because, you know, the customer experience and the content that you create uh, all the time, I, you know, I've looked at it and it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. So Stephen, thank you so much for your time pleasure. today and for all the great work you do. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure and uh, take care. Thanks for listening to the Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.